Hi, my name is Nicole J. Georges. I'm a queer, feminist, vegan cartoonist, teacher, and advice columnist staying in Los Angeles, California with my half-blind chihuahua, Ponyo Georges. <laughs> this is our podcast, Sagittarian Matters. Sagittarian Matters. Sagittarian Matters. What's the Today on Sagittarian Matters, self-care, healing, and revolution with my own personal witch friend, Brandy Taylor. Then, advice and an interview from the day before the election with artist Jibs Cameron, a.k.a. Dynasty Handbag. Stay tuned. Brandy Taylor is a Sagittarius, a witch, and a priestess living in Portland, Oregon. She's a professional astrologer, a graduate of Emily Trinkhouse's astrology program, and a current student at the Blue Iris Mystery School. I thought Brandy would be the very best person to discuss revolution and psychic healing this week. Brandy makes magic candles under the name Magic Hour Astrology. You can find her at magichourastrology.com. Brandy? Yes. Hi. Hi. I'm here in LA. I put on eyebrows for you. You did? Yes, but I know eye makeup just in case we cry. And also no bra. No bra, because that's, <laughs> that's, that's what you like. That's right. We're doing this podcast braless, as we should. End of the world, wearing a ribbed tank top. Previously called a ribbed tank top. Now I'm free to call it a wife beater. Because yeah, uh, that's, that's right. the world we're living in. That's right. Exactly. So, uh, you are our resident witch and intuitive counselor mm -hmm. here on Sagittarius Matters. Uh, my my listenership may not know that we've always had a resident witch and intuitive counselor on the staff of Sagittarius <laughs> Matters, behind the scenes advising. Mm -hmm. Behind the curtain, that's right. Behind the curtain. And I had thought that we would introduce you to the show as a sex advisor at some point. But then something tragic happened in between, and I find that our community might really benefit from some of your perspective. Thanks. The thing that happened yeah. is, is that I stopped watching the TV for 20 minutes, and in that time, Hillary conceded. So mm. it's actually my fault. I was watching the election results at a party. Everyone was getting depressed and leaving the party. I stayed to watch because my magical thinking was telling me if I just kept watching the TV long enough, I would see her pull out those states she needed to pull out. Mm -hmm. But then I left, and when I turned my back is when it happened. Mm. Yeah, I think that when I was watching it as well, like the group that I was with, who were all witches, the, we just started just slowly disassociating and you know, being like, wait a second, is this real? Like, what timeline are we on? I'm not in my body. Like, you know, and as we're processing this and it becomes more real, I, you know, I was crying and we were talking and eating and it just was like, it felt like a moment where it was both completely horrible feeling to be in your body, but also like, you know, not really knowing how to kind of get back into that state and you know, drive your car home or go take care of your dogs and go to sleep. You know, it just is surreal. This, this is what shock feels like. Hi, here's my question. 
I have just been diagnosed with cancer, and I have a child. She's three, and now Trump is going to be president. My question is, how in the hell do I deal with this? How do I fight this horrible situation and try to create a better world for my daughter when I'm sick and I don't know if I'm going to be around to actually see her through to her adulthood. Any advice you have is welcome. Thank you. Wow. I mean, I think first of all, thinking about, you know, what you said about having a child, being sick, I just want to say like all this advice that is going to come, you know, from you and I, I don't have a terminal illness, nor do I have a child. Um, but I do have a lot of empathy for this person and, um, I can like really hear the, the despair and the, the just straight up, you know, fear. And, um, when I think about this, I think about like, you know, first things first is just breathe and, you know, think about what your like immediate things are for the day because it's true when you think about trump being president when you think about being a mother when you think about having a terminal illness it is it is bigger than we can possibly process to carry all of that around all the time and we have to sort of take things a little at a little smaller slice for the moment and that and doesn't mean those things are erased, doesn't mean those things go away. It just means that right now we just breathe. And the first things first, I would say, is get support. Is get some support from your community. And if you feel isolated, which a lot of people do, um, especially even parents, right? Feel isolated or, you know, not sure where to turn. There's lots of um, uh, avenues for support, whether it be like on the phone or at a support group or, you know, wherever, even in a, like a play date with your kid, things like that. Just having another human being there, I think, is really helpful um, to not feel so alone because I really feel that like alone, you know, um, energy from that message. And, you know, like... I think it's it's really imperative to be able to get support, to be able to feel that you like can handle like what is happening day to day. So that could be like, you know, just for today. Like let me just take what I can handle for today. And maybe that's just taking care of your kid or maybe that's going to a doctor's appointment with your friend or your loved one or your family member. Um, taking on what you can take on during the day and knowing that like, you know, this is, your kid is your legacy, you know, like, what are we here to do? We're here to like heal the bloodlines. Our ancestors gave birth to us to, for us to be able to come here and do something good on this planet, right? Every single person on this planet, your job is to heal something. So if you're here and you now have a descendant, right? So you're here with that descendant. All the only thing, if you just do nothing else but help that descendant feel safe and loved and seen and heard, then you are doing a service to this world. You are helping the healing for the planet. You're helping the healing for the human race. You're helping healing for our culture. Um, and 
you are doing the work of healing those bloodlines. And, you know, I don't know more about your story or like, you know, if you're a spiritual person or a magical person in those ways. But I think if you're calling your podcast, you probably, you know, find some solace in this amazing, radical, queer person, artist. So I hope that you can help, like, you know, find these glimmers of hope through art, through people doing radical action, through spirituality, through the earth around you. You know, it's like we were in a chasm moment. Like this in the in the divination uh, deck, the tarot, this is the tower. This is the tower card. This is where things are crumbling down. This is where things are are being burned to the ground. This is where like that wildfire, that like hell mouth opens and it is just chaos. And it has to open. It has to happen this way because we have got to change. We cannot continue to go on this way. And you don't have to be, caller, on the forefront of this. The thing, the most radical thing you could do would be to take care of yourself and take care of your kid and get community support. You know, like this is a legacy you can have, you know, your kid being here. And whether or not that you're here to see her or them grow up, like that is heartbreaking. And, you know, a few things that I was thinking about too in this is, you know, we do a practice as witches where we, not just once a year, but, you know, a few times like in ritual, we will imagine a world that we'd want to see. Um, and we imagine what that world looks like, tastes like, feels like, smells like, how our body feels there, what, our, what we're thinking when we're there. Um, and that's an energy that we hold. And then we, we then bring voice to that. So I think about like if your kid's three, you know, they might like thinking about how you could envision the life that you would want your three-year-old to grow up in. You know, like what, if they're three, they're going to be seven by the time this nightmare might be over. So let's think about longer range than that. Let's think about, you know, when they're 17 or when they're 27 or when they're 37. And like, what kind of life could you imagine with your kid? Like, what, what does it look like there? How does it feel? How do you feel in your body when you're there? And really give voice to that. You know, I want to live in a just world. I want to live in an enchanted, magical place. I want to live where people are seen and heard and loved. I want to live in a world, you know, that's healed from racism. I want to live in a world that has, um, where everyone has enough and all things are well. And that's the energy that you both for your, to give to yourself and to give to your kid you know, I imagine like drawing a picture of what this, what this looks like, writing a letter to each other, writing, writing your kid letters for in the future to at age 10, at age 12, at, you know, whatever that looks like for you. Like, I hope this is the world I envision for you. Here are the things I want to pass on to you when you turn 15, when you turn 27 and like allowing yourself to, whether or not you have to give her those, give them those letters and have that experience you know you might find that like writing them a letter when they're 10 you might find a great solace if you're you know able to give that to them in person and if you're not look at the legacy that and the healing that you can give to your kid that way um and you know yeah 
Oh, I said it's beautiful. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I also think that, um, you know, just cultivating, um, just cultivating that like you and your child are safe. I, I, like this is, this is fear and we're in shock, we're in panic. This is a nightmare. And the thing that we need is safety and security. And that right now is a luxury for most people in America. And however you can create that sanctuary for yourself and for your kid in your home um, and, you know, have it be a place of solace, have it be a place of joy, have it be a place where you can really, you know, have a respite from the rest of the world. We all are going to need a respite. And, um, you know, yesterday I created an altar with my partner here at the house and you know, it was about like radical action and, you know, justice and healing and, you know, revolution and really, you know, illuminating this like shadow and all these things. Right. And then I thought about too, like that, that's the, and you know, an altar, if you don't know, is just a physical presence that you put, put like you can put it on a table or, you know, in a corner of your room or whatever. And it holds an energetic intention. So it can look like anything. You don't need fancy things for your altar. You could have a flower. You could have some food. You could do whatever you want to this altar. So my altars have like candles and, you know, parts of the tree from outside and, you know, rocks and things like charged items that I have or whatever, whatever it looks like. But I wanted to make that altar to have a place to feed my fear. And... It might be, especially in my home, that I want to be like a calm, like, you know, serene place. And when you step outside your door, you're stepping now into this world that is scary. And not that it wasn't scary yesterday, but this is now a permission slip for, for our culture to be more in your face, right? And to be more, um, people are, are riled up especially if you live in a fucking red state. I'm really, you know, I apologize if that's how this is going. But it's, when you walk outside your door, for you, like, thinking about, like, I'm taking protection with me today. I'm taking safety with me, right? And when you walk back in the door, letting that, letting that go, letting the house just be able to be the, the safe space, letting the protection, so you don't have to have it on all the time. The altar actually really helps you focus that helps you call that, right? So you can call in protection. You can call in love. You can call in justice. You can call in safety and security. You can also give it your fear. You know, give it your anxiety. Give it your hopelessness. And just like, you know, and the three-year-old can do this too. I do this with my little niece. Um, you know, creating an altar and being like, you know what, if you're scared, like, like let's, you know, you can yell into that candle or just give it to that rock. Or go touch a tree outside and really give it to that tree. Because the tree can hold it. The earth can hold it. We've done so much fucked up shit to this earth. She can hold it. She still shows up. She's still, the leaves are still turning. The earth is still moving. Things are still composting. We're going into the winter. Like, she's never stopping. She doesn't care the fuck if Donald Trump is president. She's here to hold us. He is a tiny speck on this big planet. And if you can be connected to her... And you can be connected to yourself, your magic, and feeling your own safety and security in your body, which is a beautiful gift. You know, you're able to 
have hopefully some sense of hope and some sense of serenity as you move through the world. I was looking up at the moon the other day, the day after the election, and I was just like, he doesn't own the moon. Like, we're giving this guy, he's like an alcoholic. Oh, God. He's he's acting out. He is exactly like, he's He's like an alcoholic acting out, and we're all giving him all of our codependent energy (laughs) and attention. And I know that, but, you know, shit, I don't know, it's just like. He doesn't own the moon. He doesn't own, you know, he might do some things that really fuck up the world, but there's, the world doesn't belong to him. Right. And he doesn't own, you know, he doesn't own the mountains. He doesn't own this earth. He doesn't own this tree. Like even keeping it even simple. He doesn't own the, you know, the water that's flowing out of your tap. And like, you know, having gratitude for the things that are around you helps also cultivate, you know, a, a feeling of separation from something that is triggering, something that is terrifying out in the world. And, yeah. I just, and, like, you know. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't, you know, I don't want to talk about, I don't want to, like, make it seem like I'm advocating for blind optimism, but, you know, right. I didn't have a ton of anxiety or I didn't allow myself with my own kind of weird whatever I didn't allow myself to have a lot of anxiety leading up to the election because I it seemed inconceivable to me. But in retrospect, I'm very happy that I wasn't living with this feeling for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. This feeling of mm-hmm. dread and anxiety that I have now, I'm happy that I wasn't having that. And like, you know, I got home from the election and Ponyo doesn't fucking know what happened. And she's still mm-hmm. having a good day. And I, But I just feel like if I can cultivate that sense of calm or joy or happiness, then I have enough to then give back to my community and to the world. Right. You know, like, and it's all totally, it's just, it's also serenity prayer. I mean, really, which whether or not you believe in 12 steps, whatever, whatever, this prayer is like, this is a magical act, this prayer. So, you know, being able to say like, you know, I, I need to accept the things I cannot change and I need to have the courage to change the things I can. And being able to decide which of those is in your hands that's how you move forward. Can this person accept the fact they have terminal illness? No. I mean, sorry. What? Right, right. No. Like, you know, it's her, she can't change the fact that she's got terminal illness. Right? Like, she can accept that she has this child to take care of. Right? So, you can't change the illness. You are grateful for the child. Right? You can't change the fact that you Trump is the president. It's like being able to sort of like move through knowing like where to put your energy and where not to put your energy. Yeah. So like my energy, you know, after I have a minute to feel my feelings and heal and cry at the grocery store, then I, I'm just ready to hit the ground running harder because also my rights might get taken away. <coughs> so I need, yeah. I feel like I'm, I mean, I've always been like dancing for my life or making art or working for my life and now it's like even more and I just feel like same for this person if she has enough energy left over to fucking fight or to create something or to help something in her community or you know assist with organizations or individuals or whatever in her community great fucking hit the ground running time is limited this is a great reminder that time is limited so Right. And if you, and if you're not able to do that because of what is on your plate right now, oh, yeah. it's also okay. It's totally okay. You know, the thing that you, you know, being able to like have your 3-year-old see you 
in the grief, see you in the joy, see you in the uncertainty, see you in all the different ways and cultivating a safety and security for your family and a strength for your family. That's, that's, that's enough. You know, you're giving back to the world by doing that. You are helping your situation by doing that. And your kid could grow up and be the next female president. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. Your, your kid could be the next John Lewis. Your kid could be on the front lines. Right. Of anything. Jibs Cameron is a performance and video artist living in Los Angeles, California with her tiny gray chihuahua, Clyde. Jibs is widely known for her character Dynasty Handbag and was called outrageously smart, grotesque, and innovative by The New Yorker. You can find Jibs in L.A. hosting Weirdo Night at El Cid this Sunday, November 13th. I should note that our interview and advice questions were recorded the day before we found out about the current apocalypse. Now please enjoy my time capsule of good vibes with Jibs Cameron. Stay tuned after the podcast as Brandy Taylor rejoins us to lead us through a grounding exercise and meditation. Jibs Cameron, welcome to Sagittarian Matters. Thank you, Nicole de Georges. Um can we, we have a couple of advice questions. Oh. But here's my new dilemma is that people are not calling them in, so we have to read them aloud. Oh, I'll read them like probably how they actually sound. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're anonymous, but not really. I know who you are. Let's do the advice, the L.A. one. I know how you sound like you are. Um, the L.A., oh yeah, okay. Hey, James, I'm a natural, quote unquote, furrower. And I have developed what I think are some pretty cute lines on my 40-something-year-old face. But since living in L.A., I'm starting to doubt their cuteness. As a fellow furrower, do you have any advice on how to galvanize myself against the shallow forces? Thank you! Well, I don't know what the gender is of this person. But if you're 40-something and you're a woman in this... You don't matter anyway, so why are you even asking this question? <laughs> That's a good answer. Yeah. You're like, if you're like, if this is some like they might... vain faggot from the West, from West Hollywood, just go get some stuff squirted in there. And you know what I mean by stuff. <laughs> right between the eyes. Right between the eyes. <laughs> yeah. That's really it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say... I mean, how do you galvanize yourself against the shallow forces? Yeah, galvanize. Is that like when you put like metal you on something? Yourself. You're protecting yourself against being in LA as somebody who looks well, like, like a person. Yeah, the shallow forces. I mean, I can't tell if they're saying the shallow forces are the forces of the lines, or are they the shallow forces of the judgment of the other citizens? It seems like this. the judgment of the citizens. But oh. I, I don't know. I tried to galvanize myself before I got here by reminding myself that my otherness is my strength and that if I even you know like if I tried like if this person tried to like run in the pack of shallow Los Angeles they probably wouldn't pass anyway so they may as well just embrace what they have do you know what I mean like if I was like that's what I'm saying hey Jibs I just whittled myself down to 40 pounds and and bleached my hair what do you think like I'd still they would still be like that person is weird 
Yeah. They wouldn't be like, one of us, one of us. No, we you accept you, be, one of us. They wouldn't come like with open arms. No, I think I think already by the sheer fact that you even are asking this question to these individuals, you fucking lose. <laughs> it's over for you anyway. So do whatever you want. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like I'm pretty I'm pretty invisible here. We're trying to like. How does that feel? I like it. Yeah. I don't I don't like being uh talked to or looked at in public. <laughs> so it's quite nice. Uh-huh. Um hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And then I get to do all my hate speech when I'm performing and my anger and towards that and, and, and you know, my real feelings will come out when I'm performing. But on the regs I really it's just it's just pleasant, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Being overlooked in any kind of service line because I don't have anything to offer anyone. You know, I'm a lesbian. I don't. Yeah. You know. Was it like that in New York? Um, no, because I think I dressed better, and I consciously looked a lot more like. I think I was. I think in New York, I tried a little harder not to look like, not to intrigue people sexually, but more just to be like I can compete in this. In the sophisticated ob scene. Um, you know, I just, I put a little more effort into it. Here, I've just gone to, to, to total t- to shit. Like, to you seed? actually look amazing. Yeah, you oh, have thanks. lipstick on, I think. I, I, don't, I don't have lipstick on. It's my natural lip color. Wow. It's <laughs> I so, woke up like this. Yeah. Um, um, the brows. Yeah, anyway, you look put together. Thank you. Thank you. But did you wear, you wore like more shoulder pads in New York? That's what I think of when I think of somebody competing in the arts mm-hmm. in New York. Is you leave the house with your shoulders Padded. very wide, and then there was like a few more drapey thing, a few more drapes. Mm. Maybe I don't know. An infinity scarf that just went around your whole body. Well, you get to layer there, so you have more choices. Here, you're just like, ugh, so many. You just don't want to wear anything, you know? Yeah. And you're always in your car, and you feel all, no one's really looking at you. No, one, especially no one's looking at me here. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a different lifestyle. It's a different thing. Well, let's see. What's our next advice okay. question? So you lose. You okay. lose. The next one is. Oh, 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 oh! These are dating questions. Yeah. Cool. I'm a fucking genius at this stuff. Good. Okay. <laughs> That's why I think they knew that they. Knew. Okay. I have, I have two dating questions. Oh, one okay. is it okay to wear a cardigan cardigan on the first date? Um, my. A car- a card again? You can't wear a card again on the first date. Wear the first, this is the first meeting. This is yeah. the first time. Yeah. Um, I have to say, I've never worn anything but a cardigan on a first date, so... Wear... You mean, like, just wear a cardigan? <laughs> Nothing else. Sounds pause. Yeah. Yeah. Done. Easy question. Two. If you arrive to a dating location first, is it okay to get a drink? Or should you wait until the other person has arrived? You are very nervous, and the drink would likely help. Hmm. I say... How do they know me so well? <laughs> you are very nervous. Uh, you are very nervous. It's like a choose-your-own-adventure. You arrive at the date. The person isn't there yet. Do you get a drink? I like how this... I like that it's in this other person. Um, fuck, yeah, it's a cool, uh, absolutely yeah. smurfly. I, I would not, because I'm such a lightweight that the one drink is going to be... That's going to be the whole... Thing that's gonna be like pregnant in, yeah. <laughs> in fifteen minutes. Like I want to actually like them to be there when I get pregnant. So, if, but if I start drinking the drink before they get there, 
I'll be blowing the bartender by the time they show up. Yeah, I know. So I'd have a soda water. Drink alcohol makes me get dick. And that's what I don't need any more of in my no life. No more dick? Too no. Much dick. But I don't drink anymore. That's why. I mean, actually, if you really wanted to trace the genesis of why I don't drink anymore, that is kind of why, you know. What do you mean? I don't know, because I'll pass out and I'll mm-hmm. wake up with a dick in my mouth. <laughs> yeah, bruises on your face from dicks just slapping it? I mean, you know, I've done a lot of therapy around it, so I'm I'm comfortable talking about it on a podcast, but yes, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so, that's a dangerous that's a dangerous place for me. I don't drink personally. What would I do if I went on a date first? I want to say I showed up for a Tinder date before, and the person was already into their drink, and I was like, okay... But then I found out that they had had drinks with friends before oh. the date, and then continued That's to drink before tacky. I got there. And I was like, "Is this person an alcoholic?" And then our whole relationship was me having this question. Oh, in my then mind. you had a relationship. <laughs> well, I want to tell you, since it's a podcast, I went home with them because I was staying with a friend whose couch was really uncomfortable. Good and reason. And so at the end Excellent of the night, reason. they were like, "Do you want to go to my apartment?" And normally I would have been like, "No," but I was like. Don't this person probably has a real... <laughs> oh, no! Oh! <laughs> Producer Clyde is, did not like that answer. Ugh. Ugh. He was trying to get him to growl into the phone. He's, look, he's giving me side eye. I wouldn't have gone home with them just because I wasn't feeling like that strongly about them. But then I was like, they probably have like a really nice bed. Were they rich? Did they have a... they, they seemed a little bit rich, and so I was what like... What made them seem rich? Because they were a business owner. What and kind? I can't say. Too telling for the podcast. Tattoo but I can, shop. I can draw it for you. Um, but I was like, my friend's couch is really uncomfortable. This person has a really nice bed. We don't have to go to home base. We can just go to like second base. Yeah, or right. Something. And then. When has that ever worked? Well, I, I'm pretty Catholic, so I really. <laughs> for those of you listeners at home, my eyes just rolled towards the heavens. Towards the heavens and back down again. So, but I, that person I thought. Are they an alcoholic the whole time that we dated? If you are thinking that the whole time, <laughs> the whole time, the answer is probably no. What? Well, because you. you know you would know for sure. <laughs> you wouldn't have to ask every day. Every day when they're yeah. like, "Let's get another drink," I'm like, "I just don't do that." Are you an alcoholic? And if so, what does that mean for me? That's the question. I'm like, I'm just gonna go to another meeting. Um, your picker's wrong. I love that saying. Oh yeah. But, so, person... Ugh, I'm drinking this disgusting tea. Person who's asked this question, get a drink. Oh, wait, what was the... Oh, yeah, get a drink. You're fine. Especially if you're an alcoholic, you better (laughs) try it now, because you might have the shakes soon enough. You want to seem super together by the time the date arrives. (laughs) Mm. It's like my landlord in Portland. Hi, hi, oh, nice to meet you. Um, Can I get a rum and coke, please? Like, you're just waiting it's like 10 o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. and he's like i gotta take a break and then he like has the shakes and he's sweating and then i'll sit in the backyard and have a beer at like 10 30 and be like oh. mm. alcohol mm. got it it really does um but if you showed up right now and the person was already drinking i think i would probably a i would i would be terrified first of all I would be like, oh, God, here we go again. And then I would be um, judgmental about, like, how much of it was gone, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I'm on that side of things, too, where I'm, yeah. you know. Um, and uh, 
And then I would try some sort of investigative techniques to find out whether or not they'd had a drink previously or not. Mm, what if they had? Actually, I'd probably get there early and spy. Like wearing a trench coat and a hat? Yeah, and just be like <laughs> over by the pinball machine. like Newspaper? Side eye, like, hmm. Yeah, that's a great way. Oh, I should do that. That's a good idea. I'm not dating. I mean, I'm, I'm taken, so I would, I'm not going to do that anytime soon. So you're not getting out your trench coat. But that's good advice I think we gave this person. Not for that. Wear a cardigan, even though you can't wear. Wear a cardigan. Is this the same person? Oh, yeah. Two dating questions. Yeah. Wear a cardigan. Wear a cardigan. Get a drink, but don't drink the whole drink. Go to an Al-Anon meeting. Go to an Al-Anon meeting, yeah. Yeah. Most important advice of the day. Okay. The next one is, I recently met a guy. He's extremely liberal. (laughs) Wait. I recently met a guy who is... I'll just read it normally. I recently met a guy who is extremely religious but wants to, quote, treat me like a queen. Should I convert religions to be treated like a queen? <laughs> okay, I'm just going to say what I'm really thinking. Go on. Which is, why the how the fuck would you date someone who is extremely religious? Sorry, is that judgmental? Get out now. Go back to the alcoholic in your cardigan <laughs> and have some fun. Yeah. The alcoholic's probably having a good time about now. They're like four drinks in. That's you're, more you're fun already, than the religious you already, you already have our pants off with no cardigan. And you're over 40. It's the same person. I'm pretty <laughs> sure asking person. the same questions. Yeah. I'm like, you're an ugly dog. And you. Oh, did I? Huh? Am I not supposed Poor to? Poor 40-year-olds. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know how old I am, bitch? 41. Yep. 40 wonderful? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 40 fun. I'm almost 42. 40. 38 feeling great? Mm-hmm. Can I ask you about your classes that you teach? Mm. Your workshop you just taught? Yes. Your creative blocks class? Sure. Why did you want to teach that class? Oh, to make some coin. To make some extra coin. Mm. Um, why? Well, because I have struggled with that quite a lot and picks up some handy tools mm-hmm. that um, I felt I could share with the public for a fee. What advice do you give people? Well, what I, advice can you give us for free on the podcast oh, about creative blocks? Um, maybe if somebody has a bunch of coin and they want. Okay, so here's the first thing. Mm-hmm. If you're not a genius, don't bother. So that's really it. If you're just sitting there and nothing's coming out, it's because you're not really supposed to be making any work. So just go, just, just forget it. Just forget it. Go to dental school or something. No, I, I mean that. It, I guess the center of the advice is around sort of that, that myth of being some sort of, you know, it's. I feel like the myth of a, of the genius in our society is connected to a lot of really sick thinking and thinking about ways about ourselves that are are you know they're like you know patriarchal mm-hmm. and capitalist what do you mean well it's a little bit like the pull yourself up from your bootstraps or like american way um that is really toxic and it's kind of like anti-shared authorship and anti, you know, like the idea of like 
the man working alone in his studio, like, drinking and smoking himself to death, but then they're coming up with, like, the most incredible painting, groundbreaking this, and, you know, or, like, a writer who's, it's, like, a kind of, like, you have to suffer alone and suffer through, like, terrible, put, put that above all else, treat everyone like shit. I mean, I'm not, you know, this is a very broad strokes I'm speaking in, but I think that that idea makes, makes people, um, really afraid to work sometimes. Mm-hmm. I should say me, makes me afraid to work, you know, cause I'm like, well, I'm not like that. And things don't just come easily to me in that way. And what does that mean? And should I even try? And boobity, boobity, boobity. And yeah, I just don't think, I think if there's a lot of a sort of a mythological, like, um, yeah, it's, it sort of creates a blockage, I think. Because um, I think a lot of times if we have a bad habit or a bad, quote-unquote, bad habit or a behavior that we're trying to change, is like we have to change our perspective around, or for me, I have to change the perspective around the behavior in order to um, change the behavior. I can't just be like, change. Sometimes I have to like do both at the same time. So but, how did you change your perspective to get over that, like, isolated alcoholic creative genius huh um I just had to practice it and like um start I actually kind of made some made work about it um and uh I think I just try to remind myself when I'm going into a project or something that like these people that went before me, the trailblazers that I look up to, you know, thinking about their struggles, like, as feminists, as, like, artists that are marginalized for whatever reason, or, you know, not, um, your typical, like, Jackson Pollock fuckwad, you know, like, like, how did, how did they manage to keep going, and is it, is it, like, can I look at making work as, like, a way to be part of humanity instead of, like, get something out of it for myself? Yeah. Or, like, be, somehow be of service with it instead of, and that is kind of, takes a little bit of the pressure off to be, to be one way or another to the outcome. Because it's like, it's like a lot of things. It's like, well, might as well, you know, like, I could be shitty to people or it could be nice to people yeah might as well be nice to people like it probably doesn't matter very much in the long run but why not do that yeah but I guess you could say like why not just well whatever anyway um so you tell people to change their perspective (laughs) tell people to change about what it means change what do you suggest yeah they pay you for your advice I love you you're perfect now change um (laughs) yeah no I think it's like just try to think about, like, what their own, um, ideas about creativity look like, Mm -hmm. and whether that's something they actually believe in, because most of the time, if you think about that system, um, you know, a lot of artists and creative people, at least that I know, are not, they're anti-establishment, and their political views, and their ways that they live their life in other ways are really, like, you know, they try to be, um, the opposite of that. But yeah. can't get 
there in their creative work when it's really just the same kind of thing. Yeah. You're the first performance artist and or comedian we've had on the podcast. Will we? We, Ponyo and I, generally have cartoonists on the podcast. Okay. And all cartoonists do is bellyache about how isolating and like our work is like it's hard and you have to do it a lot. It's like a lot of martyrdom around cartooning. You do. You are. You are. You we are, have it the worst. We are the number one like martyrs of all time of like we chose the worst art form but we're doing it and it's so much harder than any other art form but we're doing it. Yeah. That's our thing. So it's nice. sit there and draw little animals <laughs> that talk. Poor so thing. I know. So it's nice to hear your perspective. Oh good. Yeah. I mean I think you do have to work alone. I mean, I work alone on a lot of things, but I try to energetically connect in other ways and also like not 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 like hiding out with my ideas and being a little bit more free with like cuz I used to sort of hoard everything. I was very very um close to talking about my ideas. I feel really scared to talk about them until they were like absolutely you know absolutely sure that's what I was gonna do yeah um that's not very helpful either are you a perfectionist Mm, I don't think so I'm not a perfectionist I mean in some in some ways I am but I think that perfectionism gets in the way of productivity when it comes to how I am in the world and how I do everything I do yes I'm an emotional perfectionist (laughs) well I did I'll be like I didn't do that you didn't say that right yeah say that again this way or that way I I mean I'm not like you know the guy from Frasier or something like I don't know I don't know wasn't there like an anal retentive man on that show trying to think of famous perfection yeah no not like that absolutely not I'm pretty sloppy when it comes to my art has LA changed your practice I don't know I don't know maybe not maybe not Mm. I mean I'm doing different stuff here too so yeah I'm writing with a, I have a writing partner. Um, that's nice. Yeah. And you're writing a TV show. Yep. So if somebody wants to buy it. It's for sale. It's for sale. They just come over. Yeah. They you make you an offer. Yes. And then it comes in a little TV. That's great. And you're like, As here it is. It's just done. And then they get to turn it on. Yeah, like, there it is. There's a TV show. Yeah, I've been working on a thing for, geez, I think it's been about three years of trying to develop this idea. Yeah. Um, it's getting, I have like a page and a half. Mm-hmm. No, it's getting, <laughs> it's getting, um, it's gone through lots of phases and it's going, we are, we're working with one production company, really just, it was just, it's just two people that were sort of helping us along. And then now we have these other guys that are interested, and so we're going to join forces. And it's just, I don't know, this process is just really long. Mm-hmm. Um, just takes forever, and that's kind of what I'm learning here. It's really different than the art world. Yeah. Where yeah. you're like, may I please scrape together this, you know, all this little amount of money, make one thing, and it's very clear what you're making. It doesn't... You're not hustling around. There's not really a lot of vagary in the in the art world in that way. Like with with um, with 
exchange with monetary exchanges work. You know, it's like you get a grant or someone gives you a commission. Yeah. I don't know. This is different. Yeah. Here. Here you don't get any money for. For I haven't gotten. For many many years. Yes. You work on actually. Something. I didn't get a pitch. Part of my pilot fan- financed. I got. I I mm. shot uh, like ten minutes of. Mm. Yeah, which was which was great. Has therapy changed your art practice? Therapy? Therapy? Um. Or you yeah. Know, whatever self. Oh, yeah. Self-care programs. Yeah, practices. well, all that stuff about, like, creativity and trying to be, like, you know, more generous than, like, take, take a risk mm-hmm. is part of doing, you know, I guess, work on myself. Um, I had a really great therapist in New York who would just tell me, you know, I'd be, like, off on some tangent about something or whatever or freaking out about writing a show, and she would just say, stay on task. Just stay on task. Stay on your path. Like, it doesn't matter what your process is. If it if it's your process, like, just stay with that and do it and do that. But, like, the distraction of, um, of other people's business or a relationship or some other fucking drama... You know, that's like where I would veer, where I veer off, mm-hmm. and that's changed a lot since I've learned how to keep the focus on myself. <laughs> and a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people don't know how to do that. Well, it's like hard. when I tell sometimes when I tell people that are more secular, maybe not in the same kind of therapeutic programs. Not I'm in. deeply religious and yes. want to treat people yes. like a queen. Yes. <laughs> But when I tell them, like, I just need to keep the focus on myself, they're like, that's so selfish. Or just, you know, something that I'm like, I think that you don't understand the thing I'm trying to say. It's not selfish. Self-care is not selfish. Self-care. Because a lot of times when you're up in someone else's shit, you're just trying to, like, manipulate. Yeah, you're not actually And you're not actually helpful. You're just trying to get what you want. I mean, I, when I moved here, I had some family stuff going on and... I just was like really like in my you know you know just really distracted and I had this big like TV show thing I had to write but all I could talk about was this like drama and I had a friend just be like you want to know what I think I think that you need to stop think talking about this and work on your fucking thing well and I was like whoa thank you and this is a, a solid pal you stayed on your path yeah, just that, like, you know, yeah. not to, like, shut out relationships, but, like, really just mind your own beeswax, as it were. It's true. I find that is very helpful for me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. But, um, I don't know. I don't want to live in chaos. Like, that's just what I'm trying to avoid most of the time. So you, we haven't even really talked about what you do here on the podcast besides give advice will you tell me i know talk about what's tremendous so you do you have a character yes a persona you have a persona your whole body is your art form your character that you embody is dynasty handbag yeah how would you describe here she's like a skin sack a vessel 
through which I explore my most horrifying inner landscapes mm. and bad fashion choices. Do you metabolize real things that are happening to you and then like put them through a filter of this character and then that is what's happening on stage? Yes, yes I do. Thank you for explaining that to me. That is exactly what I do. How does it how do you differentiate between like where do you end and she begins? I don't know. You don't Nicole. know? I just I mean, it's been weird doing like ge- okay, generally I in the past have been very strict about like dynasty handbags belongs on stage with no other like human interaction. It doesn't work in that way because the whole like perform persona is based on like a psychic landscape it's not about like reality stuff it's like filtered like you said um but now that I do weirdo night um which is my monthly show um at El Cid and I host and I perform I kind of have to like shift gears and be a little more like loose with it um, but I still feel weird whenever I have to like interact or say someone say something that's not that's like for real. Like if yeah. I'm ever like, and welcome Nicole Georges, she's an amazing cartoonist. Like I want to say, in her dreams. Like after yeah. that, like I want to say something mean. Yeah. But now in I, character. Yeah, in character. If you um, have the uh, silver Prius in the parking lot, your lights are on. You fucking say, asshole. You fucking asshole. Go outside. Turn it on. And then stand in front of it. Put a rock on the gas pedal. Can you do that? The silent killer is coming for you. <laughs> Your own Prius. Yeah, I mean, it's... Yes, exactly. So well, I guess I was... I was thinking about how our things are similar. We were talking about the Fun Home musical. And after we talked... I was telling you about how there's like that part in it where she's like, I became a lesbian cartoonist. And I was like, what does that mean? And then I went to my therapist and I was like, what does that mean? And she was talking about it being like a way of processing information and processing history and processing, Mm. you know, experiences and then constructing something new out of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then I was thinking, I was like, we're the same. I mean, we're the same. Our forms are very different, but it's the same kind of thing. Yes, I would agree. Plus, I am also a drawer, been a drawer for forever. So I really relate to that way of expression yeah I am not nearly as a, I'm not like a drawer drawer like you are but I love to draw and I draw what? all the time so what I want to see these drawings you can't see them on the podcast no uh, I can't I'll tell you what it is it's a line that goes up and then it curls around and then it has a hair on it and then I make a shoe and then their lips and then the goat tail that's, that's usually what they look like. That's what they look like? Yeah. That's great. Um, we gotta go in a second. No, we're good. We're good? Yeah. You have a big audition for um, the Rockettes. Oh my god, I wish. Can you imagine? That was that was a little bit what my dreams were when I was a kid, but I, I was a little too weird. Little mm-hmm. too weird. For the Rockettes? Yeah, I don't know. I was always attracted to that kind of thing, but I think I was, um, yeah, just a little bit too, um, I don't know. I couldn't really take it seriously. 
I don't know. You know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. I mean, I know what you're saying, except for, like, I I had this, like, thing where I felt like I missed out. Like, I wanted, like, when my friend was like, oh, I just auditioned for Annie. And I was like, how did you find out about that? How come <laughs> your parents took you to do that? I want to do, like, my mom didn't take me to do anything because, like, I was, like, raising myself. That's exactly the same with me. I was a genius performer as a kid. I was an improv star. I was so good. I was so funny. All I wanted to do was be on stage and be a famous actress and then and go to the fame school. And my parents um, didn't really take notice of that. So then I became a wayward teen, and I was like, fuck it all. Then I started making really depressing comics, and then that's how I got into art school. You mean depressing comics? Yeah. That's right up my alley. Yeah, they were all, like, all, like, Edward Gorey ripoffs, and, mm. like, I was really into Daniel Klaus and, like, yeah, yeah. Dirty Plot. I loved that shit, and then, because I was kind of, like, you know, yeah, you, you're not going to go out for Annie and, like, those kinds of things when you're, like, a 15-year-old, like, alcoholic slutbag who's, like, you know... You living on her own. I was like, what did I eat then? I just ate, I feel like I ate bagels all day, every day for like four years. Because yeah. I was out, I, I went, I went, uh, I left home very early. How old were you? 15? Mm. 16? Mm. Well, I mean, you know, I shouldn't say, it. my dad, my dad did, he sent me to this really great boarding school when I was a freshman in mm. high school. I had to repeat my hair. And so my second freshman year around. That sucks. Yeah. Well, I didn't really go to school. and I didn't really go to elementary school. Yeah. Yeah, I just didn't. I just, I was in some trubs. And then, so I went to the boarding school. It was fantastic. It was great. It was like a liberal artsy kind of. There was a lot of weirdos there. So that kind of saved me a little bit. But then I tried to move back in with my mother and go to public school and that didn't work out so I just mm-hmm. bounced peace yeah I moved out when I was 17 mm. not 16 well I, that's still pretty young of high school yeah me too I left school and moved out and just was like I'm living my life starting now but I did not I was not doing alcohol and drugs it was just oh, you like workaholing instead yeah well you are an industrious yeah. type Hence, that was my your put together looks this morning. That's my put but you know what I just morning. remembered? What? What? When I took the GED exam, yeah. the essay question was, "Do you think a woman could ever be president?" Really? Yeah, I just realized that, and I wrote my essay. You want to know what I said? Do you want to know what I said? Yeah. I said no, because America hates women. <gasps> so true. Yeah. America still hates women. We really hate women. Um, we hate women enough to, like, have someone other than that, uh, other than our female candidate. Okay, I'm just going to stop. Really? But, well, I just, we hate women so much. Yeah. That D. Trump is, like... In the race. He's like a rapist. He's literally a rapist who's literally said... That, like, I rape all women and pig... (laughs) I rape all the pig women. Yeah. And women are ugly and fat, stupid, and I rape all of them. But I I beat my wife. But I made fun of a butch lesbian. We could all agree on that, right? When he's talking about Rosie. 
He's like, I mean, I called her a pig, but come on, she's a lesbian. Come on, she's a pig. I mean, a pig is a pig. So, yeah, there's that. Can I tell you that my mom regurgitated this thing that she heard on right-wing radio, which was that she was like, well, honey, all those people that are complaining about him with those pussy comments, they all went and bought Fifty Shades of Grey and read that filth and saw that filth, and now they're complaining because he talked like that? She's like, they're a bunch of hypocrites. They all went... She's like, I saw them all go to Barnes and Nobles at the same time. Yeah, Mom, uh, the SM community is a lot more about consent than you're really giving them credit for. Oh God, that Mom. movie was so boring. That movie, I saw that movie in Australia. Couldn't she have ended up dead or something? Like, why was it? It was so. He like spanked her, and then she had a feeling about it. I would like, be so upset. I was with like, her. you need to go to a Janice convention, girl. <laughs> She signed a contract that said it was okay if he slapped her around. And then he slapped her around and she was like, how could you do that to me? And I couldn't believe she gave back the computer and the car and everything. I would have kept all that stuff. Yeah, that movie should have been been called um, One Monochromatic Swath of Boring Dumb Fucking White Bitch. (laughs) Excuse me. One giant beep 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 bitch. Bitch. Do you have what's your okay, so we have to end soon. I'm putting on my makeup. You're putting on your makeup. Do you have advice for young artists? I like what you had to say about being a part like just the practice being part of it or like contributing something to the world and not just have it be, you know, the end all be all that you're like I reached the end of this finish line and I'm successful officially. Yeah, I mean, you can have an art career. You can have one. You can be an artist. But you probably won't be famous or rich. So it's just like a matter of acceptance that that's what you chose and not like having a tantrum every time it like doesn't work out. Yeah. And you just keep plodding along and doing your thing. But being an artist is fantastic. It means that, you know... You never have to, like, you can always put that above children. <laughs> and um, I like I like it. I like that this is what I chose to do with my life. Although I didn't realize it was a choice that I made until, I don't know, maybe it was probably like four or five years ago. I was like, oh, wait a minute. This is a choice. Like, I made a choice. So every time things get rough or I get really broke or something I don't get to just be like I'm a terrible person why did I do that you know it's like I'm not participating in a certain kind of system that I doesn't work for me yeah and that's just what I chose is that's what you and then and then it's up to me to sort of like you know make it work for me Mm. but I'm not really into like poverty art living anymore I don't think there's anything noble in that I don't think poor people want to be poor. No. I don't think it's, you know. So I, I am, I'm, I don't make a lot of money, but I try to make enough so that I'm not super stressed out and then I can't, like, do my thing and be present for it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I like having a job. Like, I like teaching because mm-hmm. it's, like, makes sense to me. I like going and talking to people and lecturing. I like performing for money. Um, 
And then sometimes I make websites for people when pickings are really slim. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like a skill that I taught myself that is helpful. I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of like just, it's like what n- nobody wants, which is like, you know, really bad or really, you know, it's like, it's a little bit drama free. Yeah. In, in that kind of decision making. Yeah. I think that's a little bit of what people are addicted to around it. You know, this is so hard, or I don't know. It's well, not really that hard. <laughs> well, I teach, I teach people, and I always find, you know, with different students, like they see someone like Dan Klaus or something, and they see that as like the brass ring they're reaching for, or they're like, I'm going to be a successful cartoonist and put out a book, and I'm like, but then what? Because guess what? Like he needs to keep work. Like he's not yeah. just getting royalty checks that are big enough no. to support his life, so he can live on a beach for the rest of his life. Like. He has to keep working. Everyone you look up to, you may not see all of the work, but they have to keep working. They have to keep working, and it's like, you know, when people say, like, oh, that that actor made a comeback, and you're like, no, that actor is just an actor that's been working the whole time and making a bunch of things that you never saw. You're seeing them during a press cycle for one <laughs> yeah. thing. You know, I went to see David Shrigley talk once. Who's that? Mm. What? I don't know. Oh, mm. uh, anyway. And David Shrigley, he, he, um, he's an artist, a drawer. He's one of my favorite artists. And, um, he, I saw him talk at Cooper Union and this student was like, how do you like make one of your drawings? Like what's your like studio process like? And I think the kid probably was looking for some kind of like magical answer and he was like I go to my studio I draw for eight hours a day I throw away pretty much everything and then like maybe once or twice a week I make something that I like I was like oh right right wait you just have to do hard work you just have to keep doing hard work yeah with all that said dynasty handbag seems like fun to do it's very fun to perform writing stuff is hell like getting to the point as you well know, sitting through all the uncomfortable bad ideas is really hard. But then once you get through it, once you break on suits as a side, mm-hmm. then it's fun. Then it's fun. And I love to perform. Mm-hmm. That's the most fun part. Yeah. Is being on the stage. It's so much fun. What's your sign? I didn't ask you at the top of the hour. Guess. Guess what it is. I can't guess. I'm not going to guess. Aquarius. You. You're an aqu- I was going to guess Aquarius. I should have guessed. I would have been the one Yeah, me and Michelle T. Mm-hmm. Um, we both have a similar way of living that annoys Beth Pickens. Oh, I remember this because I remember we went to Not Scary Farm and you left your ticket and we were talking about Aquarians trigger Beth. Yeah. And I say, I, I don't mind Aquarians thing, but Gemini's trigger me in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. We can be a little on the floaty, floaty side. Well, Aquarians But I are- have a Leo, as you can see, because I just interrupted you, a Leo... Leo rising, Pisces moon. Oh, Oh. one of my best friends is a Pisces Aquarius cup. Mm -hmm. So you always welcome on Sagittarian matters, is what I'm saying. I like Sagittarius. This is you're funny. We're a good time, right? Yeah, we light we light up a room, but a little bit scary. A little bit scary. Yeah. Somebody called Sagittarian sensitive brutes. Oh, yeah, that is kind of true. Oh, my God, it's so true. We can't help it. 
Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Nicole. How can people find you? Weird, do you oh, want them to go to Weirdo Night? DynastyHandbag.com. And Weirdo Night, the next one is on this coming up Sunday mm-hmm. on the 13th. Um, it's usually every second Sunday of the month at El Cid. Um, and then just around the town. I'm pretty good at Instagramming and Twittering my like shows and stuff. And I have a mailing list on my website, DynastyHandbag.com. Dot com. Dot com. org. Go. Cool. And then that's how you can get rid of the wrinkles. You get the shot. Dynastyhandbag.com shot. And <laughs> right in between the S. Bye, Nicole. Bye. I, I love you, Nicole. Oh, I love you too. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. Sagittarian matters. Can we do a quick grounding? Sure, absolutely. Um, Okay, so this is just, this is like the first, like, brick in a witch's house. So this is like your your fundamental... um, magical tool right (laughs) (laughs) this is your fundamental tool you can use this at any time i really welcome people to use it especially right now sometimes first thing when you wake up or before you go to bed if you're anything like me with the insomnia you know for the past few nights um it really helps in any case um or circumstance it also is great in a crisis um okay so i that's kind of, you can do this, like I said, as quickly or as slowly as possible. I'm just going to go like in a regular sort of pace just for timing for the podcast. Okay, so I want you to close your eyes. And with your eyes closed, you're just going to breathe. You're going to feel the weight of your body. You're going to feel your chest rise and fall. You're going to feel your belly rise and fall. And breathing and dropping your body weight down, dropping it down to your feet, feeling the weight of your body, the gravitational pull move down towards your feet and allow your feet to open up. And as your feet open up, your grounding cord, an energetic cord that's always tethered to you expands through your open feet. And this cord moves down, down through the floor. It moves down, down through the topsoil. That grounding cord always tethered to you moves down, just sinks down effortlessly down, down with gravitational pull, all the way down past the roots of the trees. It gathers strength as it mixes around those roots and moves down through the layers of the earth's crust, down past all of the rock and sediment, moving down to the water tables below and moving down, slipping down with gravity, letting go down, down, all the way down. We can feel the pull of the heart of the earth 
and feeling that pull, feeling that call, our grounded cord moves down through the water tables, moves down through the caves, all the way down until it reaches the lava and magma below. It reaches the lava and magma that encircle the heart of the earth. And here in that molten core of the heart of the earth, there's minerals here, the same minerals that are in your bones and your blood. And here your grounding core wraps around the heart of the earth and we can feel her heartbeat. We can feel her nourishment. We can feel her gravity holding us here. And we bring up some of that gravity. We bring up some of that nourishment. We bring up some of those minerals. We bring up some of that safety. We bring it all the way up from the beautiful heart of the earth and moving that energy up all the way up past lava and magma, moving that energy up through the caves, up through the water tables, moving that energy up, up all the way up through the layers of rock and sediment, moving it up past the roots of the trees, all the way up our grounding cord, up through the topsoil, all the way up to the floor and into your open feet and moving it all the way through your body feeling that gravitational pull, feeling that nourishment, feeling that nurturing energy from the heart of the earth, move all the way up your head to your fingertips, to your shoulders, down your spine, and moving that up all the way up through your crown. And from your crown, your grounding cord opens up from the top and we move that energy up. We move it all the way up through the air through the top of this house, all the way up past the tops of the trees, moving it through the air, past the snow-capped mountains, past the clouds, into the cold and dark of space, until we can feel the bright star calling our name. We can see that bright star calling our name. As we move towards that bright star of inspiration, that stardust has nourishment for you. We wrap our grounding cord around her and hear her song, hear her call. Wrapping our grounding cord around the bright star above, that star that's just for you, the stardust that is in your body, the spark in your blood. We move that stardust down. Moving that stardust down, all the way down through the layers down through the atmosphere, all the way down past snow-capped mountains, all the way down past the branches of the trees, into the roof of the building, into your crown, and move that stardust like a starry cloak around your shoulders. Move it down to your toes and mix that energy with the heart of the earth from below. Feeling yourself tethered between the bright and the dark star feeling yourself tethered between the sky and the earth. Here we walk in the middle realm. We are both children of the sky and the earth. Stardust inside of our bones and our blood, minerals from the earth inside of our bodies. In the middle realm, we have work to do. And here is where we can pull energy from to do this work. And we breathe here, feeling ourselves tethered, feeling ourselves expanded, 
reaching out to above and below and we are grounded. Thank you, Brandy. <laughs> You're welcome. You're so welcome. Wait, 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 producer Panya wants to say, thank you. Come here, Pan. Come say thank you to your godmother. That's right. Your fairy godmother. My god, I'm her goddess mother. It's very true. My goddess mother. <laughs> she got so Auntie. grounded. Look at how tired she is. She's like, oh, dogs oh. are so grounded. They're already so grounded. I mean, animals, this is pretty effortless. Humans, we get in our brain. We forget to be in our body, you know? So this is a nice way to just like open up our body and just feel held by something bigger than us. Thank you for helping us be in our bodies. Mm, you're so welcome. Thanks you're for so coming welcome. on the podcast. My pleasure. Next time it's going to be so much more fun. Next time we're just going to ask you questions <laughs> about fisting with fingernails, you know? Great, great, great. What, you know, which crystal dildo is great? Yeah, like what do you think? The glass <laughs> dildo, it's like a mortar and pestle, right? Like, <laughs> stop recording thank you do you have any last last final tips of wisdom or words of anything to leave us with um i think just imagining the world that you want to be in and helping to create that world it's all of our work and it is not going to be able to happen until we feel safe and secure in our own bodies and just doing a grounding, connecting with getting support with friends and family and our communities being strong or how we're going to feel safe and secure.